Kia ora koutou, I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to Insight. This week, money laundering. New regulations have come into effect this month for lawyers and conveyances in the next step in efforts to stop dirty money being cleaned up through activities such as buying property. They'll be joined by accountants and real estate agents from the beginning of next year. The Justice Minister, Andrew Little, is also about to launch a public information campaign on the Anti-Money Laundering and Countering Financing of Terrorism Act. Jeremy Rose has been investigating the scale of money laundering in New Zealand and how successful the new measures might be in countering such activities. The International Monetary Fund estimates that about $2 trillion a year is generated from the proceeds of crime. It's a staggering sum. If you wanted to literally wash that amount of cash through a laundromat, assuming it takes an hour to wash 10 kilos of $20 bills, it would take you 571 years with a machine like the one you can hear in the background running 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. If international law enforcement agencies were able to recover, say, 40% of it, the amount of cocaine estimated to be seized globally, it would be more than enough to feed every malnourished person in the world and provide them with clean drinking water. But law enforcement agencies internationally really recover more than 1% of the money being laundered. The New Zealand Police Financial Investigation Unit estimates that $1.35 billion is generated annually for laundering, mainly from drugs and fraud offending. When tax evasion and the proceeds of crime committed overseas that are then laundered in New Zealand are included, the figure jumps dramatically. A Lithuanian man who was extradited from Latvia will spend at least three years in a New Zealand prison for masterminding a drug money laundering racket. The company may be caught up in an international money laundering controversy after it was identified helping to manage a network of New Zealand registered companies and trusts for its clients. Tax specialists in New Zealand expect a crackdown on money laundering begun three years ago will overcome tax dodging by wealthy people, highlighted in a new report. The serious fraud office set about trying to quantify the cost of economic crime in a never-officially completed report leaked to RNZ in 2014 and estimated the figure was between $6.1 and $9.5 billion annually. To put those figures into some sort of perspective, if 40% of the lower estimate was recovered, it could fund a tenfold increase in the amount being spent on disability assistance for children or a doubling of the social housing budget. But no one's predicting a windfall from recovered ill-gotten gains anytime soon. In fact, if you notice the changes at all, it's probably going to be in the form of extra costs as lawyers, accountants and real estate agents are required to meet new anti-money laundering regulations. AML, as it's known, is big business. Crime is shifting rapidly. It's more complex and its consequences far more serious. A shooting isn't exactly an unusual event here. By lunchtime, share prices were falling. Around the world, serious financial crime is growing. Organised crime now operates across borders. Cybercrime has become an unsolvable problem. And a new generation of extremism is globalising. That was an ad for Winyard Group, a New Zealand startup that looked like it could be a big player in the fight against money laundering internationally until it went into receivership in 2016. But that wasn't for a lack of a market. 
The Justice Minister Andrew Little acknowledges that the cost of lawyers, accountants, real estate agents, the TAB and others having to comply with the Anti-Money Laundering and Countering Financing of Terrorism Act will be significant. The cost of implementing these regulations, once they're all in place, over a 10-year period of time could be as as much as a billion dollars. The impact is to give greater assurance that over $10 billion worth of cash is clean. So just how many companies are going to have to comply with the AML legislation? Richard Manthel is a director of AML Solutions, a company that, like its name suggests, helps to bring so-called reporting entities up to speed. Under phase one of the legislation, which came into effect in 2013, there were about 1,800 to 2,000 companies, and that were the banks and the stockbrokers and the money remitters, the casinos, etc. Phase two, which includes the lawyers, accountants and real estates companies, is about another six to 7,000. So you could say that the, the number's going to go from roughly 2,000 to eight or 9,000. So the, the market has increased dramatically, and we certainly haven't seen the increase in consultancies or knowledge or expertise uh, in those numbers. So there's going to be uh, a huge learning curve for all those companies over the next 12 to 18 months, and there's going to have to be a lot of patience from the, the public who deal with those companies as they uh, grapple with some of the verification, identification, verification requirements that are needed under the uh, AML legislation. And what will ordinary punters notice as lawyers, accountants and real estate agents come under the Act between now and the beginning of next year? They're really exactly the same as they've experienced with the banks over the last five years, and that is that if you go and create a new relationship with, with a bank, they will request some ID and they'll need to verify who you are. So they'll be asking for a copy of a passport, uh, maybe a driver's licence, and also they'd want a proof of address, so they'll be asking for a utility bill. So when it comes to lawyers, accountants, um, and for that matter real estate, if you're selling a property, then they'll be asking for the same same sort of information and uh, wanting to identify you. There's little doubt that at least some of the $100 million annual cost of complying with the new AMO Act will be passed on to consumers, but how much remains unclear. The acting executive director of the New Zealand Law Society, Mary Olivia, doesn't expect those costs to be too onerous. We expect, and it will depend entirely on the transaction, but we expect it may add an extra half an hour to any transaction that a lawyer's carrying out, which then, of course, is an extra cost. And that'll be passed on to the clients? We expect some firms will pass it on to the client, yes. Either by way of a, a... a sort of an extra cost, an AML cost, or they may just increase their hourly rate to reflect it. So what is half an hour of a lawyer's ticker? It could be around about $100 or more. Bindi Norwell, the CEO of the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, says the costs of meeting AML reporting requirements will probably be between $5,000 and $15,000 a year for real estate agents. So will those expenses flow onto the cost of selling or buying a house? Not sure yet. It really will depend on the capability of the agencies involved and whether they have the resources available to be able to, to manage it in-house or you know, whether they need to bring new people in. Look, I'm not sure yet, but I do recognise that it's a significant cost to them. And there's no, so you've got no ballpark figure of, you know, $100 or $50 no. or $200? No, it's a really good question, and I'd be interested to just speak to a few agencies on that, but no, we haven't really had those discussions. 
As we've heard, the Justice Minister, Andrew Little, expects the total cost of compliance to be in the vicinity of a billion dollars over the next decade. He predicts the new regulations will make a significant dent in the amount of money being laundered in New Zealand, but will it? Well, not according to Dr Ron Pohl, one of the country's leading experts on money laundering, who recently published two academic papers that cast serious doubt on the AML industry. Dr Pohl argues that anti-money laundering legislation is almost completely ineffective in disrupting the proceeds and funding of serious crime. One of the articles published in the Journal of Financial Crime reported that Britain recovered just 0.1% of the money estimated to be laundered each year. New Zealand fared better on about 3.3%. So will the latest moves to bring lawyers, real estate agents, accountants and other businesses dealing with large cash purchases see New Zealand improve further? Dr Pohl doesn't think so. We've got some international data on this. If it's going to have the impact that, that it's said to have, a significant impact on our ability to reduce crime, then you'd expect to see that difference in countries that have different controls over lawyers, accountants, real estate agents. So I've done the analysis across Australia, Canada, the UK, um, uh, New Zealand, which have com- completely different controls. So in the UK, they've got full controls and have had enormous controls over lawyers, accountants, real estate agents for a long time. In Canada, they've got controls over some professions and not others. Uh, in Australia, they've got no controls over them. And in New Zealand, we've had uh, controls in limited cases. Uh, so real estate is one of those since 1996. Um, and so you'd expect, if there's going to be a big increase um, in our capacity to interdict serious crime, you'd expect to see differences. Not only do we not see differences, um, the impact was so negligible um, as to be quite remarkable. So how does Dr Pohl explain New Zealand being more than 30 times as effective at prosecuting money laundering than Britain? Those figures were just a snapshot in time, uh, and that excluded several big areas uh, in the official data. So New Zealand's real interception rate might be 1% rather than 3.3%. And using latest figures, uh, New Zealand's figure might actually be closer to 0.2%. But ultimately, it doesn't matter whether it's 0.2% or 1%. The figures are pretty much a rounding error in criminal accounts. With Britain, which has required lawyers, accountants and real estate agents to report suspicious activity for a decade now, performing so abysmally in terms of detecting and recovering laundered money, does the Justice Minister Andrew Little expect New Zealand to do any better? What we're doing is, because we've signed up to um, international agreements saying that we would do this, uh, and we're subject to the oversight of the Financial Action Task Force, an international body, to make sure we're doing it. I think, and that, that arose out of the global financial crisis. Everybody agreed if we're going to clean up money flows, then yes, you've actually got to take this, this sort of action um, and do a lot more to take it more seriously. We've signed up to it. We're doing it. And the thinking is the, the more kind of scrutiny you apply to transactions of a certain minimum value, then... Look, you, you might not eliminate this sort of activity, activity altogether, but you certainly make it harder and make it more of an impediment and slow it down. But even though those figures do see, you know, it's less than 1, 1% in many cases, doesn't that suggest that we're ticking boxes rather than actually getting on top of the... Yeah, I, I haven't seen that research. I haven't seen the analysis that supports it. Um, what I all I can go on is the advice that that I've received, and and really this program of implementing these requirements is, is uh, continued from the previous government. We supported the legislation that allowed the implementation of these obligations when we were in opposition, so we're seeing it through. But we we accepted 
the advice then that this was about creating impediments, slowing it down. We didn't expect it would eliminate it completely, but we're confident that it will reduce it. AML Solutions Director Richard Manthell rejects the claim that the legislation is almost totally ineffective. Typically every year the FIU, the Financial Intelligence Unit from the New Zealand Police, will receive anything from seven to 10,000 suspicious activities or suspicious transactions and they reported through uh, to the police and then the police will uh, use that information uh, amongst other information they receive as well to uh, start an investigation. So at the moment, a majority of those reports are coming from the banks, uh, but now that accountants and lawyers and real estate are captured, um, soon to be captured, we'll see more reports coming from those uh, sectors as well. I'm Jeremy Rose, and you're listening to an RNZ Insight program exploring money laundering. The Police Financial Intelligence Unit declined to be interviewed for this program, but its 2018 risk assessment report says that between April and December of last year, six money laundering charges were lodged each month, up from two in 2014. The unit is mandated under the AML legislation to collect and analyse information passed on by reporting entities such as banks, money transfer agents, casinos and now lawyers. So after six years in business and having worked with over 700 clients in the banking, casino, money transfer, legal and real estate industries, is AML Solutions' Richard Manthell aware of any suspicious activity reports from his clients resulting in prosecutions? When we are conducting audits, we um, are auditing uh, not only transactions but um, particular structures within uh, that companies have created and we're always seeing activity that looks like could be used for money laundering. Over the last sort of five or six years, we, there's no doubt we've seen a lot of activity that uh, could definitely be money laundering. And more importantly, if their internal procedures didn't pick it up or they didn't report it to the police, um, you know, you'd say they're in breach of the uh, of the legislation. But I'm pleased to say that in most cases, um, the reports have been filed with the police. So then it's up to the police really to say, it's been reported, we've got the information, what are we going to do with it? And a lot of these uh, these investigations do take a long time, and we have seen prosecutions take place um, with the police, where um, people have actually been tipped off, and so where, where where companies have and individuals have been identified, and it's led to different prosecutions. It may not be uh, money laundering prosecutions, but it may be drug offences. It could be uh, other activities as well. As we've heard, officials are receiving large amounts of intelligence about possible money laundering. And that's set to grow substantially as lawyers, accountants and real estate agents become reporting entities under the Act. But Dr Pohl says it's an open secret that the international AML system isn't working. The United Nations forthrightly um, rated the success rate of the system at just 0.2%, uh, almost completely ineffective against criminal finances. Uh, Europol has also faced up to the reality uh, very similarly. Canadian parliamentarians have uh, said that the AML industry has plainly failed to demonstrate uh, effectiveness. Uh, the former head of Europol, Sir Rob Wainwright, told me just a few weeks ago that my latest articles are part of uh, what he called a movement challenging the unfounded policy adherence to uh, compliance-led systems and controls. I didn't have the heart to tell him that that perfectly described New Zealand's AML system. And having studied almost two decades of money laundering cases in some depth, 
Dr. Ron Pohl is convinced that it's still relatively easy for anyone from a small-time cannabis dealer to international drug cartels and tax evaders to launder the proceeds of crime without being caught. I use this when training with police officers from New Zealand and overseas, and that's an, in fact, that's an example I use. Um, so I say if I'm a cannabis dealer with maybe $100,000 a year or something, or if I'm a meth dealer with, say, $10 million a year or so, or if I'm a similar cartel and I've got billions per year, there's a method for each of those that, that I would never be caught. Um, and that's that's very, very simple in New Zealand. So your example um, with the, the, the low-level cannabis dealer, for example, uh, a cash-intensive business. Um, so you put the, the, the proceeds from that through um, a business that appears to be legitimate takings. Um, if you're a, a high-end meth dealer with $10 million a year, New Zealand property market is a very, very simple way to, to launder proceeds of crime. Um, uh, almost never get caught unless you make a dumb mistake. Uh, and similar cartel, it's you know, trade-based laundering customs aren't going to see that most of the time. So what type of thing you'd, you'd say you were exporting something or? Yeah, you can get to a stage where you're not actually exporting anything at all. Um, uh, it's just the paperwork. And then there's um, uh, services based. So you know, there's, there's invoices flying around backwards and forwards for uh, services ostensibly given. Um, and that justifies the flow of money. And have you seen actual examples of these? Have yeah, you... we've seen in the research, we saw lots and lots of examples. So we're focused very much on uh, lawyers, accountants and real estate agents in the real estate um, side of it. But there's lots and lots of other transactions that we saw that they were also involved in. When it comes to money laundering internationally, banks have been hit with increasingly astronomical fines for allowing themselves to be used to wash the proceeds of crimes. Laundering drug money and illicit fund transfers to Iran, not the sort of deals usually associated with HSBC. But the UK bank has been fined nearly $2 billion by US authorities, with further fines expected in the UK. It's the largest penalty ever paid by a bank. For BNP Paribas, the saga is finally over. Monday's guilty plea ends months of discussion and lands the bank a $9 billion fine. And while no Southern Hemisphere bank has yet faced a billion-dollar fine, Australia's Commonwealth Bank came close with a $700 million fine last month. The offence was unprecedented. The penalty too. History's biggest fine for Australia's largest bank. That should send a shockwave across financial service firms right across the country. ComBank is guilty of 53,000 breaches of money laundering and anti-terrorism laws. The problem? They're intelligent deposit machines that weren't so smart. The Commonwealth Bank is the parent company of ASB in New Zealand, but a spokesperson for the Reserve Bank told Insight that it was confident the smart ATMs that enabled the laundering to take place are not in use in New Zealand. The Australian ATMs allowed cash deposits in excess of $10,000, the sum at which banks must report the transactions to police. Massey University Professor of Banking David Tripe agrees that the risk of a Commonwealth Bank-type scenario arising in New Zealand is low. We won't see it. I don't think we'll see it through ATMs and those sorts of base, bases. We tend to use a bit less cash than people use in other countries, so that reduces the amounts. And we've had rules about acceptance of cash for a while, so people in the banking sector, at least, are reasonably well attuned to it. And is it possible to quantify, you know, the compliance costs must be significant and banks must be doing everything they can to avoid being caught in the situation that, say, the Commonwealth Bank of Australia yep. was. Yep. Is it going to add to the cost of banking for Joe Public? 
Not, not to any great extent. But there are some compliance costs that the banks have to meet. That imposes some cost. But relative to banks' overall cost levels, the amount involved is relatively small. And, I mean, is it possible that, say, it could be $100 a year for the typical client? For the typical bank account holder, no, it won't be anything like that much. The money laundering might have imposed 10 to $20 million of extra costs on the New Zealand banking sector. Well, suppose it was $18 million as a round figure. It's about $5 a head. You think we're unlikely to see any of these massive types of fines that we've seen overseas? you think the New Zealand yeah. banking sector yeah. is protected? And, and if so, why? Well, the New Zealand bank's banking sector is, is protected to the extent that, that people in the banks know it would be silly to do any of these transactions. So they are mindful of the regulations. Now, somebody in a bank may decide that they should ignore the, the, the rules to get a transaction through or something like that, but they'll get caught. When it comes to money laundering, poker machines are small time when compared to the international banks, but the sums can still be significant. Back in 2010, the New Zealand Herald reported that two Auckland drug dealers had spent $20 million on Sky City pokies over a six-month period. And last year it was reported that the spend on poker machines was up, despite a decrease in the number of machines, and that led some to speculate that money laundering was the cause. Australia's been grappling with the same problem. Monash University's Dr Charles Livingston is one of the country's leading experts on poking machines and he says there's no doubt they're used for money laundering. The best and most effective way to make money laundering on pokies difficult would be to change the bed limit. So in Queensland, for example, the load-up limit is only $100 and in other jurisdictions, including Tasmania, and South Australia, only coin-operated machines are able to be used. So although you can still launder money with those sorts of load-up limits, it becomes much more cumbersome. In New South Wales, you can still put $7,500 into a machine in one go. And, of course, in New Zealand, um, the load-up limit is well over $5,000. So, you know, what you're looking at is it's it's a little bit harder to launder money than it is if you've got a load-up limit of $10,000, but um, you can still do it. You just need to split the money up a bit more and spread it around the countryside, but it's not hard to do. And particularly when you're talking about second or third tier criminals who are you know, laundering the proceeds of a day's drug sales or whatever, it's very easy to do it that way uh, You know, if you've got big load-up limits. If it's $100 or coin-operated machines, of course, it makes it much harder and therefore less likely to be used. The CEO of Problem Gambling New Zealand, Paula Snowden, is certain pokies are being fed on the proceeds of crime. We have feedback from the clients that use our service and they often say that they've been given the money to spend or they have spent the proceeds of their own drug dealing on pokey machines. So you think it's quite significant? Material. But we need to know, and the government needs to know, because if we're using losses in pokey machines to fund worthy causes, that money needs to be real money from real people's wages, not from the proceeds of crime. Now, pokey machine spend is trending up again, despite the fact that machine numbers have been coming down. The Department of Internal Affairs... Burl commissioned report could only say what it wasn't. 
It wasn't economic growth and it wasn't tourism. What is left? If it's not wages and it's not visitors, where's the money coming from? And New Zealand as a society and the government need to know. You mentioned that you have people coming in here saying that they're asked to feed other people's money in. I mean, is is that common, do you think? Is that happening? And is it more likely to happen in a casino than, say, a local pub? The clients that we use are 50% of the gambling harm in New Zealand is the pokies and the pubs and clubs. So that's the people that we've been talking to mainly. We know that people say they are putting money through the casino. Everyone knows the casinos are a, are a place of money laundering and they have their own rules and regulations for controlling that. But what we can say is we have a significant proportion of clients who say they've either been spending the proceeds of their own drug dealing or they've been given money by somebody else to spend. Uh, and we can't ignore that. It's an illegal activity on both fronts. So getting clear information on that is hard, which is, again, why the government needs to investigate what's causing the increase in spend. Insight asks Sky City for its reaction to the idea of drastically cutting the load limit on poking machines. A spokesperson for the casino replied it was a matter for the government to decide. So does the Justice Minister, Andrew Little, think there's a case for reducing the load limit? I haven't received any advice about that. I mean, I know that we have a limit. I mean, you can, you know, you can put a whole heap of money on credit, plug it into a, a um, poking machine, do a few transactions, take it back out and cash up the, um, uh, the credit card effectively that you've got and then you've, you've, you know, you've done the job, you've cleaned the money. Um, so we've got a threshold, it's just it's a fraction below $6,000, it's $5,998 I think. You can top it up by putting coins in but you need to have a hell, hell of a lot of coins to make it substantially more than the, the kind of near enough to 6000 bucks. Um, I think, look, at, at some point we are going to have to kind of review the effectiveness of what we're doing and if as a result of that we see that the thresholds are too high or it's too easy to continue to to clean at least, you know, roughly 6000 bucks, then, you know, we'll, we'll have to um, do something about it. And if the Australian experience is successful and effective, then you know, we'd be silly not to look at it. But while it's possible that a simple measure like cutting load limits could significantly reduce the utility of poking machines for cleaning ill-gotten cash, it wouldn't make a dent in the overall problem of the laundering of billions of dollars of the proceeds of crime that goes on in New Zealand each year. So having convinced himself that international AML regulations are little more than a box-ticking exercise, what does Dr Ron Pohl think would work? Well, no solution is possible without first accepting that there's a problem with the current system. Uh, And I don't know of any politician that's actually asked the hard questions, um, uh, is it working and will it work? In the coming months and years, you'll find yourself being asked more often for your passport and extra charges could start appearing on your legal accounting and real estate bills. But it remains to be seen whether the expected billion-dollar cost of compliance with AML legislation over the next decade will have any discernible impact on the billions of dollars criminals are laundering each year. That programme was written and presented by Jeremy Rose. If you'd like to discover some other great listening from Insight, you can head to our page at rnz.co.nz forward slash insight, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, Lee Marama McLaughlin explores if teaching te reo Māori and the history of New Zealand wars in school could help reduce racism. 
I'm Philippa Tolley. And that's all from Insight for today. Join us again next week.